If you'd like some help with your networking, this episode is going to be a gold mine. We're speaking with Zach Arnold. He is apparently known as the godfather of cold outreach and most known as the editor of Cobra Kai. So if you want some help with networking as well as reaching out to people who will help you progress your career, then this episode is full of tips to help you achieve just that. Let's just crack on. I would love to welcome to the video editing podcast, the king, the networking king, Zach Arnold. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I've never been called the networking king before, and I don't know how I feel <laughs> about that. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm always on the journey and learning more myself. I have been called the godfather of cold outreach. Um, so, you know, but maybe the the king, not quite there. I'm not not a huge fan of the term expert because there's always more to learn. But needless to say, excited to be sure. here, and I appreciate the sentiment. You're a Hollywood editor, um, most known for Cobra Kai. Yes, Cobra Kai. I've uh, been in the the film, television, trailer, short form, long form world. You look at my resume of 20 plus years of credits, and a lot of it makes very little sense, if at all. Uh, the most common word that people often use to describe my career path is scattershot. They're like, I looked you up on IMDb and your your career makes absolutely no sense. And to me, it makes perfect sense. But to the outside world, it might make a little bit uh, less sense. Um, but I just I have a lot of wide and varied interests in different stories that I like to tell and different mediums and ways to tell it. And really, the the secret behind how I made all those major transitions really does come back to networking and building the right relationships. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, but Cobra Kai is obviously the one that I'm the, the most well known for and have been the the lead editor and associate producer on the previous season and have been around since the beginning of season two. Yeah. And so have you found any pushback from having uh, experience or having a credit list that is not particularly related to some of the work that you are putting yourself forward for? Yeah, th there's no question that there is a, there's a barrier in the industry where the expectation is you're a specialist in one very, very specific craft. And it's an easy choice for me to hire you to do the same thing over and over and over. But as soon as somebody needs to take a chance on somebody that doesn't have the experience in the credits, nobody wants to put themselves out there and wants to take a chance on that person. So I've made essentially four fairly significant and major career transitions over my 20 years in Hollywood. Basically, what I found is that over and over, the formula is as follows. That what you number one have to do is find somebody that can advocate for you and they can vouch for you and say, listen, I realize this person may be a trailer editor and they haven't worked on features, but trust me, they can cut features. So that was the first major transition I made was from commercials and promos and trailers to doing indie features. Then it was from, well, you only do indie features and you could never do television. So I have to find an advocate and build a relationship with somebody that can, again, be my advocate, vouch for me and say, no, trust me, this person has the skills to be able to cut in uh, network and cable television. Then the transition was from network and cable television to premium streaming, saying, well, you're a network and a cable guy. You could never do premium streaming, which, again, 
requires advocates and relationships and people to, to mutually introduce you. And now beyond just the transitions from different mediums in the in industry, I'm changing between completely different industries, which <laughs> is I spent 20 years as a Hollywood film and television editor. And now I expect people to pay me money as a career strategist and a coach and a teacher and an online entrepreneur and trust me as a podcaster. Uh, so what it really ultimately always comes down to is relationships and people that are willing to advocate for you in combination with I've been developing the skills that are transferable from one area of the industry to another. And I have to learn how to tell the story that I'm not starting over. And I actually have valuable skills from this previous arena that are uh, arena that are valuable to you now. Um, so if if you're looking for that formula, like you said, where it's just a matter of um, you know, people say, well, you, you just you, you need to practice and you need to get better at your craft. They're not wrong, but that's not the only thing that guarantees that you can climb the ladder or switch from one ladder to the next. Yeah, you have to be great at your craft, but the right people have to know that you're great at your craft. And I feel like especially in post-production, we are so creatively introverted. And I find that it's almost universal that you talk to just about any editor and they all say the same thing. I just want to be left alone. Just leave me in my small, dark room with no windows, and I want to do awesome stuff, but I don't want to have to talk to anybody. But unfortunately, people need to know that you're awesome at what you do, and that's the component and the gap uh, that I've tried to help fill because I feel this it's such a necessary component to designing a more fulfilling career path, mm -hmm. but all we focus on is the craft. The craft is important, yeah. but it's not the only thing to focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Networking is for me, has been so much more beneficial uh, to network sideways uh, rather than ahead. You know, to the people booking, it's mm -hmm. rather if you can get the overflow work from uh, other editors, your peers working at the same level as you, uh, that's more likely than reaching out to somebody who's way, way, way ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that one of the fundamental mistakes that so many people make when they think about quote unquote networking is that networking is about getting jobs, which means that I need to put myself in front of the people that have the jobs that are doing the hiring. And I need to jump up and down and wave my hands and say, look at me, I'm awesome, pick me. And that's the exact polar opposite of the strategies that I teach with networking. So when it comes to building your network, I actually have a, an entire program that's called Build Your Dream Network. And one of the components of it is identifying the three levels of your dream network. And those three levels are that you have your peers, you have your experts, and you have your gatekeepers. And almost everybody thinks that networking is I need to get in front of the gatekeepers and get their attention. But like you said, if you're looking at it laterally or horizontally, you have to surround yourself with peers, people that are in the same place as you or even those that are in a different place in their career, but they have similar obstacles. Those are your peers, right? That's the, the rising tide lifting all boats. Right. But mm -hmm. I think the component that almost everybody misses, which in my opinion is by far the best strategy, is taking the expert approach. And when I say experts, I say experts in quotation marks because it's not somebody that's the world's best at whatever they do. Whomever is doing now what you want to be doing next, they are your expert. So mm -hmm. if I have just graduated from college and I want to be an entry level post PA on a show like Cobra Kai, the world's expert to help me achieve my goals is not the editor of Cobra Kai. It's the post PA that's working on Cobra Kai. But we're right. so focused on who's going to hire us that we forget to connect with the people that are doing now what we want to be doing next because they've already been down the path and they can help us with where we're stuck. 
So if you expand networking beyond I need to get jobs and instead it's about I need to build real relationships and make friends with other people in the industry, ultimately the side effect of that is you get jobs. But networking can't be about getting jobs because everybody mm. can sniff that desperation 20 <laughs> miles away. Oh, yeah. Do you have any recommendations for cold outreach? I do. Uh, I actually literally have hours and hours and hours and hours of recommendations, um, both that I can offer for free and you know various guides that I have, as well as paid workshops that I do. But if I'm going to boil it down to the, the simplest version of this, it starts with a mindset shift. And the mindset shift has to be that this isn't about me reaching out so I can get something. This is about me reaching out so I can give something. So I mm -hmm. always make sure that before you're going to talk about yourself and tell your story or you're going to ask for something, you need to lead with value. So if networking is about surrounding yourself with friends and surrounding yourself with experts and building genuine relationships, it has to be value driven first. So I have a, a three step formula that I call the VSA formula. The V is value. So you must lead with value. This alone confounds everybody. What does it mean <laughs> to provide value? How do I do that? Does it mean that I have to work for free and organize an editor's dailies or I have to cut scenes or a sizzle reel for them? Vastly overthinking it. Value is simply making somebody's day a little bit better by recognizing the positive impact that their work has on you. So you have to genuinely show interest in somebody's career path, show interest in the work that they've done, and just connect with them on a human-to-human -human level. Once you've provided enough value that it's worth reading the rest of your message and responding, the next step where people get stuck is they need to tell their story, but not necessarily make it about them. So the way that most people do it with networking is, here's all that I've worked on recently. Here's three different Vimeo clips. I want you to watch these scenes. And by the way, my resume is attached for your reference. If you hear of anything, please let me know or pass me along. That is the worst way to start a conversation. But you do need to tell your story. And the structure that I teach my students is how do you tell somebody where you are in your own hero's journey? The hero's journey is a structure that we're all familiar with in the storytelling world, where we have this character, that was stuck in the ordinary world. They've decided to accept their call to a venture. And now all of a sudden they have all of these obstacles standing in their way and they need a guide or they need a mentor. So the structure that I teach my students is that you first have to be clear about here's where I am now. Now here's a little bit more about where I'm going next and what do I want to achieve. But then the biggest component that everybody avoids is here's what's stopping me or here's where I'm stuck. The reason being, we assume that when we network, we're supposed to have it all figured out. Oh, I'm amazing at my craft and I'm so good at what I do and you need to pick me and choose me and hire me. As opposed to I'm going to be vulnerable about where I'm struggling, hoping that maybe you've been at this place somewhere in your past. You can mm -hmm. empathize with where I'm stuck and you want to help me overcome this obstacle. That level of vulnerability and clarity about what's stopping you, that's what starts genuine relationships. So you lead with value, you tell a very clear story, you're vulnerable and open about what's stopping you from achieving your next goal, and then you actually have to ask something. You'd be very surprised at how many people don't actually ask anything. They fanboy mm -hmm. or they fangirl, and they talk about how amazing this thing is. Let me write you 12 paragraphs about how I've analyzed and overanalyzed and the way that you made this one choice, conveyed that this character believes this thing and had this impact. Like, yeah, I don't care. Why are you actually reaching out to me? <laughs> Right. So you actually have yeah. to have a question and the question should be related to where you're stuck, because what's valuable to me, if somebody's going to reach out to me, it's actually valuable if there is an area where I can help you. 
So even though you're asking for something, if I think that what you're asking can be helpful to move you forwards, the fact that I helped you move a little bit further forwards in your career or in the quality of your life, that's valuable to me in return. I mean, I've, I've basically built an entire business model around this one idea. You reach mm -hmm. out to me, you have questions by me providing you with advice and getting you uh, results and per getting you some level of success. That's literally now how I make my living because I enjoy doing that so much and it's so valuable to me. So don't be afraid to ask something, but it has to be specific and it has to be a, a, a question such that I know if I give you the answer, it's actually helpful. And you're not just asking for the sake of asking like, oh, uh, what, what's your preferred kind of a macro keyboard command and keyboard for uh, editing? It's like, well, <laughs> I can give you that answer, but is it is it really going to change your life and help you? Probably yeah. not. So maybe I'll respond really and then push I'll push the needle. Exactly. And then, and then what I'll do is I'll finish my message with the kiss of death, which is best of luck. <laughs> right. You, you, you know, you know, the conversation's over as soon as you get the best of luck kiss of death. And yeah. I'd rather have more genuine conversations with real people. So, uh, yeah, just to just to quickly summarize the place to start, make sure you provide value, tell a clear story and then have a very specific ask. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good uh, framework. And I know that you have some uh, you have a free guide available mm -hmm. on your website, which goes through some of these um, ideas. So let's quickly uh, let the audience know where they can find that. Oh, sure. I, I appreciate the shameless self-promotion. Uh, all they have to do <laughs> is go to my website, optimizeyourself.me slash email guide. Uh, I mean, I, I have an extensive insider's guide to writing amazing outreach emails that details this and talks about some of the components of some really bad outreach versus some really good outreach. It's got some templates, got some checklists. So it's, it's a really good place for people to start if they want to learn the basics. Yeah, fantastic. I know that um, whereas Unsplice focuses on storytelling, uh, really there is uh, nobody who can beat Optimize Yourself and Zach for networking and cold outreach. So yeah, I really And by the way, I teach, the I teach storytelling as well. The difference is that I, I help, uh, help other creatives learn how to better tell their own stories. So you teach how, how, how can I be yes. a better storyteller in the timeline? <laughs> and yeah. I've just extracted 20 years of experience of storytelling in the timeline and applying it to real people's lives and their career trajectory. So I still consider myself a storytelling teacher, just in a slightly different, uh, different avenue than in Premiere or Avid or in the timeline. Yeah, that's great. And there's less bugs in uh, the yeah, You'd be surprised. There, there's plenty of other <laughs> bugs. There's just maybe not technical ones, but there's still plenty of bugs to work out for sure, right? It's, it's a lot easier to, to, to fix a, a networking patch bug than it is to fix the imposter syndrome bug. But there are still bugs. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, what is the, uh, the, most common, uh, the most common lie that you hear people tell themselves when they, when they come to you? People don't want to help me. I am just bothering somebody. Why would anybody want to talk to me or respond to my message? That is the biggest lie and bunch of BS ever. Mm -hmm. There are dicks in the industry. Frankly, you know, if we're, if we're talking oh, yeah. about per capita <laughs> in the entertainment industry, there's probably more in our industry than many others. However, I still believe they're vastly in the minority. And the vast majority of people that I interact with on a daily basis, they want to help others. So the problem is not that people don't want to help you, it's that people don't know how to help you. And that's where storytelling and having that very clear formula is so important. But I think that the number one lie that we tell ourselves is that nobody wants to help, help me and when I'm reaching out, I'm just bothering them or I'm just gonna sound desperate or I'm just asking for things. And it, when you have the right approach, that's not the case at all. 
So anybody yeah. that thinks that, well, cold outreach won't work for me because nobody wants to help, it is categorically not true. You just have to make it clear how people can help you. Yeah, absolutely. People expect, you know, experts or, you know, people who are cutting things that they have great respect for to have their inboxes flooded with loads of people sending fan letters and compliments, but it, it's really not the case. Yeah, no, it's it, it, by and large, it really isn't the case. And it's what I call the, uh, the prom queen syndrome, which <laughs> is that if you're, if you're in high school and you're kind of that, you know, that nerdy guy or the nerdy girl or whatever, and you're like, Oh, well, I could, I could never ask out the prom queen. Everybody's asking out the prom queen. And then you ask the prom queen and they're like, nobody ever asks me out. They don't even realize that I'm single because nobody wants to bother because they just assume this person is in such high demand. Um, mm -hmm. So I have found by and large that pretty much everybody is reachable. There's certainly a barrier where I would guess that uh, Steven Spielberg probably receives a fair amount of outreach and probably very, <laughs> very low response rate, um, very <laughs> yeah. high barrier of entry. Uh, but if we look yeah. in the world of post-production, for example, I would say that, you know, the one of the, the prom kings, so to speak, would be Eddie Hamilton. Uh, very mm. much in high demand, very well known. You know, he's working on the latest Mission Impossible movies. He did Top Gun Maverick, was Oscar nominated. Uh, and I know for a fact he's very reachable because students in my community have reached out to him and used this exact same formula. And not only do they get responses, they've scheduled Zoom calls with Eddie where he'll talk to them for an hour, hour and a half. Um, he is somebody that really, really wants to reach out and wants to connect with people and help them. But his time is very, very limited. So we have to, he has to sift through the really crappy outreach that's all about the other person versus the genuine outreach that is about Eddie, but also where this person has a very clear ask. So when mm. people think, well, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to reach out to, to all these people because um, they're unreachable or they're so busy or their inboxes are so full. Um, it is true that their inboxes are full, but they're full of bad outreach. And it's also just full mm. of noise from life and from the job. But yeah. I can all but guarantee that you are going to compete with nobody if you're sending really genuine, really personal, good, cold outreach, because I've seen it happen over and over and over again. People that are deemed unreachable will respond to my students' messages, and will, they will even be the ones that say, I would love to schedule a call and get to know you a little bit better. I would love to... Uh, speak with you a little bit more about you've you said about jumping about between um, disciplines and mm -hmm. uh, you are now working within the scripted world obviously I'm unscripted and commercial uh, and I have a lot of people who feel like who worry about pigeonholing mm -hmm. and feel like they need it all figured out from the very beginning um, what do you have to say to that Oh, well, the, the first thing that I have to say about pigeonholing is very controversial. And mm. I've gotten myself in trouble with this in the past, and I've made people very, very mad, but I don't apologize because I really think that I'm right about this one. The first question that I want anybody to ask that's struggling with pigeonholing is, who pigeonholed you? That's the big question, because most people yeah. are going to say, well, what do you mean? The, the directors are pigeonholing me or the studio executives or the creative directors or whomever is in the hiring position. They're the ones that are pigeonholing me. Not true. You mm -hmm. are the one that pigeonholed yourself and you did it with one very specific but one very simple word. Yes. Yes, I will <laughs> do this next project that's just like the one that I did previously. And yeah. then a year later, I will say yes three more times to the same thing. 10 years later, you have a resume of all of the exact same thing. One of the most common ones that I hear in the unscripted space with my uh, students, so many people that are quote unquote pigeonholed being a true crime unscripted editors. Mm. 
Like, mm. well, did were you forced to do this against your will? Well, no, not really, but I had to pay the bills. And my entire network is other post-producers and creative directors and editors that are doing true crime documentaries in the unscripted space. Okay, so how many times have you said no to those projects to pursue other things? Well, I, I never really said no. I didn't even know that I could say no. So let me ask you again, who has pigeonholed you? Then their head drops and their eyes drop and they're like, <laughs> I did. So that's the first thing is you have to take responsibility for the fact that you allowed yourself to be pigeonholed. And the way to remove yourself from that equation is to say no. But the next biggest challenge when you feel like you've been pigeonholed or even when you realize that you've allowed yourself to be pigeonholed is, yeah, but it's a legitimate barrier that I don't have the experience that somebody is looking for. And I'm stuck between the rock and the hard place of I need the experience to get the experience, but to get the experience, I need the experience. And this is so common, especially in the unscripted world, but frankly, for mm -hmm. anybody making a career transition or changing disciplines, is that at some point, you're not going to have the experience. So the story that you need to be able to tell is I have the skills. So what often happens is we tell ourselves this false narrative that I'm starting over. I have wasted 15 years of my career editing unscripted true crime documentaries or shiny floor competition shows or whatever it is. Um, I've learned about there are like 178 subgenres in the world of unscripted and reality, which I find <laughs> fascinating. Um, is, yeah. But people think to themselves, I'm starting over. No, you're not. You have a myriad of transferable and valuable skills from all the work that you've done to the work that you want to do next. But you have to be better at telling that story. So it might not be that I work with performance-driven narrative content all day long, but I bet you've dealt, well, dealt with a lot of politics, a lot of really crazy, tight, intense deadlines. Um, I think that a lot of people, if not all of them in the unscripted space, um, have the ability to find the story. Whereas in the scripted world, yeah. you're kind of handed it, and that could be tremendously valuable for a specific type of show, where if it's a little bit more verite, or it's lower budget, or it's earlier in the process, they might need people that can find story and fix story problems. You haven't started over. You've spent 10, 15, 20 years solving story problems and finding the story when somebody said, here's 50 hours of crap, find a scene in here somewhere. In the scripted world, I don't have to do that. But that's a very, very usable and transferable skill in the scripted world. Uh, one specific story that I uh, always tell when it comes to this idea of being pigeonholed and looked over, but it actually being valuable, is that when I was making the transition into the TV world, specifically in cable and network TV, um, I was up for consideration for the television show Burn Notice, which I did end up uh, landing as my very first TV credit because I had not one but two different advocates that were telling the showrunner and the studio, trust us, just hire this person. I actually wasn't approved by the studio the first time. And one of the reasons was, oh, this is a trailer guy. This is somebody that's short form. They do trailers. They do indie features. They don't understand how to do TV. So I almost didn't get the job on burn notice because I was a trailer guy. Fast forward a season, I'm brought into work full time on season five. And the season five premiere, they weren't happy with the opening of the episode. It, was a, they were, it wasn't necessarily a reboot or a rebrand, but they were deciding to go in a different direction between seasons four and five of burn notice. They weren't happy with the opening and they said, you know, it'd be really cool. What if we created like this, this 90 second montage of all this cool stuff that's happened in the last six months between seasons to kind of reboot the series. I'm like, that's awesome. When are you guys going to shoot it? 
uh, we're not shooting anything. We don't have the money <laughs> to shoot it. We're already shooting other episodes. I'm like, okay, so you want a 90 second montage, but you're not shooting other material. So the showrunner sent me an email with a paragraph, a paragraph of voiceover and said, make something with this voiceover. That's all I had. <laughs> so I had to spend the next two weeks going through literally at that time to really date myself, going through boxes of DV cam tapes of mm -hmm. all of the dailies and the footage that didn't end up making it in the previous four seasons of the show. And I had to construct a 90 second montage from scratch. And after oh. they saw that and they loved it, guess what they said? We are so happy. We have an editor that has trailer and short form experience. And I'm like, there you go. Really? Like, come on, this is, this is the reason you didn't want to hire me. But the point of the story is I had so much yeah. transferable and valuable experience in a different discipline that it made their problem solvable. Whereas another editor that has no experience in short form or trailers or marketing probably couldn't have solved that challenge. So the, the, the moral of the story is wherever you are in your career, you're not starting over. You just have to learn how to better construct and tell the story that I have the skills that are valuable to you, even though I might not have the experience. Yeah. And you've just 10x your trust by being able to deliver that skill and not just the one original skill that they employed you for. Exactly. So they realize that not only do we do we have the tool that we thought we had, we now have an entire toolbox that wasn't available to us before. And because of that process, it opened their mind and expanded them to other ideas of future scenes or sequences that they could shoot, knowing that when they handed it to me, it's something that I could approach from a much more outside the box perspective. Um, so yeah. the fact that I came with a wealth of experience in short form trailers actually made their show better. But myopically, yeah. nobody wants to take a chance on you unless you have <laughs> 10 credits on your resume that are exactly the same as what they wanna hire you for next. So yeah. when everybody, somebody, whenever someone wonders why is it so hard to make this transition, it come down, comes down to one simple thing. The person that's hiring you needs to cover their ass. That's it. Yeah. That's what yeah. it's about. And if you can lower the risk enough that they're willing to take a chance, that's how you make the transition. Yeah, I always say that uh, from a client's perspective, trust is more valu valuable than money. You know, they can oh, throw money at a problem, but, you know, trust, that's priceless. Yeah, you can get people to, to trust that you can solve their problems, then you'll have relationships for life. Really fantastic advice. In the scripted world, and even as you moved um, and you bounced from uh, short form uh, through to longer form, I would love to touch on your your presence, your portfolio, how you show your work, um, and how you present yourself publicly mm -hmm. to clients. Yeah, so th this is another really, really sticky point uh, <laughs> where I think that the, the word that most people are thinking is help me sell myself or help me brand myself. Uh, the word brand doesn't bother me as much. The word selling, I'm not a fan of selling at all. Um, so the, the mindset shift that I help my students go through is that this isn't about you. You're no longer the hero of the story. The person that wants to hire you they are the hero of the story and you are the guide. So essentially it's your job to understand their problems and tell the story that you can solve them. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about your resume, it doesn't matter if we're talking about a portfolio website or a sizzle reel or a demo reel or how you present yourself in an interview, it's not about you. What I always tell my students and remind them of this, and I'm just, I'm very cold about this. And I'm gonna apply this to all of your, uh, your listeners, your students and your clients, 
Nobody cares about your hopes and dreams. <laughs> These people have problems and they need you to solve them. So when they ask you in an interview, for example, tell me about yourself, they don't want you to talk about yourself. They want you to talk about what skills and what value you have that are going to solve their problems and make their life easier. So yeah. when it comes to, I like to say presenting yourself like you did rather than how do I brand myself or how do I sell myself? The way you present yourself is the solution to somebody else's problems. How you do that is, you know, nuanced, whether it's a website or a resume or a bio page on LinkedIn or an interview. But essentially, the mindset shift is that I'm here to present myself as the solution to your problems. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have um, I quite, quite often have people come to me with this um, this idea. And one of the main things that's holding them back is perfectionism and it's perfectionism mm. of the portfolio. Uh, I'm not ready to put myself out there just yet. Uh, I don't have a portfolio to show. And these are just from my experience, excuses that people tell themselves to, you know, prevent themselves from failing. And so I always say the same thing. And I just say, just apply, just put yourself out there. If you don't have a portfolio, maybe you have one video. If they ask to see it, you can send them that link to that one video um, and use that. You don't have to have a super polished portfolio. Yeah. Perfectionism is essentially a synonym for procrastination. Uh, it's essentially mm -hmm. just an excuse to not take action. And it's usually rooted in some form of fear. So what I always tell my students, and this is actually, uh, this is born from me actually training uh, students in the real world to prepare them for their very first Spartan race. So one of my uh, hobbies slash obsessions has been both Spartan racing and American Ninja Warrior for like uh, five, 10 years now. And what I always find over and over is when people come to me and they say, hey, this, this Spartan thing sounds really, really fun. Um, and it looks like it'd be really interesting, but I don't think that I'm ready yet. So I say, okay, so what would it take? Well, I really need to get in shape so I can start training for a Spartan race. And I say, do, do you think the time is going to come when you feel ready to train for a Spartan race? Well, there's always some excuse. There's always something in the mm -hmm. way. And mm -hmm. I always say that you have to be ready to not be ready. There is a certain barrier of entry where if you can't walk around a block, it's probably going to be tough to go through one of my three or four hour Spartan training sessions. But you're never going to be in shape or quote unquote ready enough because it's never going to come which is where that perfectionism, I think, holds so many people back. So you just have to be the place where you're ready to not be ready. And if we're talking about a portfolio website, if you're thinking, well, what I really want to do someday is I want to edit Mission Impossible movies. Well, if yeah. all you've done is edited two independent short films, well, yeah, I can see why you'd be scared to put together a portfolio website with two independent short films if you're going to send it to Eddie Hamilton because he's looking for a co-editor. You're definitely not ready for that. But if you're looking at doing your first feature length independent film, having two clips for two shorts might be just enough to convey. I have the, the creative language that you're looking to speak in your film. I don't really have an entire website, but here are two links to two Vimeo clips. As long as it demonstrates that you speak a similar language and you have some experience that somebody's willing to take a chance on you. Well, yeah, that's that's a place where you can be ready to not be ready. I'm at the point still after years and years of now coaching and teaching and doing all the things that I do with Optimize Yourself as a podcaster, I still don't feel like I have a version of my website that's ready. I still don't feel like I have a version of my online workshops and courses that are ready. But if I waited until I were ready and they were perfect, I would have zero students right now. 
because mm -hmm. I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. And I always <laughs> used to make all of those excuses about, well, I'm not ready to do this yet. It just needs to be a little bit better. And the reason, again, like you alluded to before, is that I want to prevent failure. But guess what? The absolute fastest path to success is failing faster than everybody else. It took me a long time to figure that out, mm -hmm. but now I yeah. don't avoid failure. I approach it as I need to fail faster than everybody else around me because the faster I fail, the faster I learn and I iterate and I succeed. So yeah. if you were to go back and listen to the last eight or nine years of my podcast, but of which the, the first podcast that I did fitness and post, it's not even available anymore, but it sucked. Mm -hmm. Like it was, I, I go back and I listen to it now and it's like cringeworthy. I, I didn't have my voice yet and I didn't know how to structure a conversation and it meandered yeah. or it was too structured and it was just questions one, two, three, four, five. But mm -hmm. if I hadn't put myself in a position where I could publicly suck at it and get better, I still wouldn't be good at it today. So if you're a perfectionist because you're trying to prevent failure, what you're also doing is preventing success. Those incremental changes um, at the time seemed so imperceptible. But when you look back, even two years, so much has changed and it really mm -hmm. does pay off. Yeah, there's a very common quote that's attributed to multiple people that we overestimate what we can achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in 10. And if all you're focused on is thinking, well, I should be at this point by now, and it's been a week or it's been a month or it's been six months, it's really easy to get discouraged. But if you're willing to take the time and really look back in hindsight at how much you have accomplished and you set a more realist, realistic expectation for how long this transition might take, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that you're making more progress than you think. But we get so myopically stuck in the weeds that we think, well, by now this should have happened. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. we, we don't have the luxury of going on Google and saying, how long does it take to be a doctor? If you go on Google <laughs> and say, what does it take to be a doctor? You're going to have the answer. It's going to hear you go to, you have to get this degree first. It takes this amount of time. Then you do this residency. Then you do this internship. The path is very, very clear. We don't have a path that that's clear. We don't have a path that's no. clear at all. And frankly, we have 100,000 different paths that we could take and there's no guaranteed <laughs> yeah. timeline. So we just automatically ascribe what we think the timeline is supposed to be. But it never yeah. ends up working that way. But if you break it down into these smaller, uh, more fundamental steps, then you can you have more of an opportunity to look back and realize you're making more progress than you think. Yeah. Listen, uh, Zach, it's been a pleasure. I feel like I could speak all day with you, um, but we we can't, unfortunately. So um, do you have a parting tip for any editors out there who feel a bit stuck at the moment? Yeah. So the, if you're feeling stuck, first ask yourself, am I at peace with how I am spending my time? The earlier you are in your career, the more it feels like you have all the time in the world to accomplish what you want to accomplish. But what I have found through my own personal experience, as well as now working with hundreds of students all over the world, not just in unscripted, but scripted directors, composers. I've worked with biomechanical engineers. I've worked with people in various fields. And one of the constants I find is that the deeper you get into your career, the more you value how you're spending your time. And I think that between the pandemic a few years ago and now, uh, either for, it depends on what area of the industry you're in. If you're in the scripted world, your life is just shut down because of all the, the strike madness. If you're right. in the unscripted world, you've at least seen things that have slowed down. And it really forces you to hit the pause button and ask yourself, is this how I want to spend my time? Uh, and mm -hmm. if it isn't how you want to spend your time, that could be where you're stuck. 
because you keep trying to tell yourself, I just, I just have to keep pushing ahead and I just, I got to muscle through and keep doing the unscripted thing or whatever it is. Um, but you have very, very limited time to actually do what you want to do on this earth. So make sure that you're actually telling the stories that you want to tell and you're working with the people that you want to be working with. Because a lot of times that feeling of being stuck is there's a misalignment between the work that you're doing and the work that you want to be doing. Right. That's, yeah, fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Zach, for your time and your expertise. Mm -hmm. uh, where can, remind us where everybody can find you. Sure. Uh, so they can, first of all, on any of the podcast platforms, just do a search for my name and do a search for Optimize Yourself, uh, and they can subscribe to the Optimize Yourself podcast. Uh, if they want to go to the website to find some of the free resources, they can go to optimizeyourself.me. Uh, the most specific resource that we talked about today, again, is that uh, insider's guide to writing amazing outreach emails. That's just at optimizeyourself.me slash email guide. Uh, and I'm also very approachable and reachable. So you go to the, the contact page, you can uh, directly send me an email and contact me directly and uh, contact my team. Uh, we've got tons and tons of free resources. And if you decide you want to go deeper and you want to work with me and you want to work with my team, then you let us know and we'll, we'll find a way to help you get unstuck. Amazing. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. My pleasure. I don't know about you, but I found that episode super useful. Loads of really great hints and tips in there and actionable feedback, actionable things to do. Uh, if you like a little bit of help with your networking, then reach out to Zach and his team. You have the details there. And if you'd like a little bit of help with your storytelling or the craft of editing, then of course you have Unspice Pro at your fingertips. Reach out to me and I will help you get unstuck. So thank you once again for joining us on the video editing podcast. This one's been a really good episode and I hope to see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.